Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write, it's also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true, people. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet featuring articles on writing and writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, who's up there right now? Dory Hillestad Butler is our current victim. She's up there, wonderful children's book writer. Of course, all the interviews we do are all, they're still up there. Everything's live in archives or back, back pages. So check them all out. Everyone from Lee Child to Amy Tan to Nora Ephron to Andre DeBuse to Cheryl Strait. Oh, my God. So many interviews. All there on Author Magazine. Go check it out. We're also funded by the wonderful Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. I am happy to be a part of that organization. Uh, They put on a great conference every year. You can already sign up for it. Yes, you can. The earlier you sign up, the cheaper it is. The more agents and editors you get to pitch if you're into that sort of thing. And I know a lot of you are. But we also do classes there. I, if you're in the Northwest and you want to take part, well, I'll be teaching a couple classes. Yes, I will. The Art of the Personal Essay, one of my favorite ways to communicate with other people. I'll be teaching that in January, as well as a one-day workshop in fearless writing. Yes, another one of my favorite things. Check it out. There'll be some other classes. Pam Binder's teaching some classes in commercial fiction writing. It's all there at pnwa.org. Well, listen, people, here it is, December 18th. It's my last show of 2018. I'm going to take a couple weeks off for the holidays. I just bought my Christmas tree today. I have a family. We do everything. We light, we light the menorah. We, get the, we do it all. We do the Christmas tree. So today we got the tree. We're going to decorate it. We're going to do the whole thing. My mom's coming into town. My son's coming. So anyway, I'm going to be busy. But I'm not too busy to talk to Bo Lamore. That's our guest today. Bo is a writer and an entertainment industry jack of all trades. And he's also, as you probably guessed by his name, son of best-selling novelist Louis Lamore. And has managed his father's literary estate since 1988. 30 years. I just did the math. Striving to maintain his legacy, he has done editorial work. He's revised unfinished manuscripts. Interesting. Managed a literary magazine and an audio radio drama series. He's done art direction. Good Lord. Been a comic book writer and producer. Become an expert in marketing. I could always use more advice about that. In the years since his father passed away, Lamore has helped sell over 120 million books, nearly 5 million audio programs and placed a number of books of short stories out of the 16 posthumous collections on a bestseller list. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Bo, how you doing? Pretty good. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be spending it here with you. Man, that is quite a list of things you do. Uh Let's see, where do we start? I mean, uh, you've been managing your dad's estate since 1988. That's a long time. Um, you know, so here's why, this is what's interesting to me about this, Bo, is that I interviewed tons of authors, and I know a lot of them. Very few of them were raised by people, by other writers. There's right. a couple, a couple, uh, but not many. Uh, and in fact, there aren't many people on this planet who are raised by writers. There just aren't that many of us, at least working writers. So 
Let's start with that. I'm just out of curiosity that the view of the writer from the child, what was that like being raised by someone who was professionally creative? Uh, Dad sat in a little room and typed all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it, sounds, you know, sounds familiar. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, you know, we got to, we got to travel to some interesting you know, to some interesting places and get out in the wilderness and things like that. But, uh, right. you know, I had a friend whose uh, dad was an airline pilot. And, of course, back in the 1960s, that was really exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like my dad, he could have been writing anything. I mean, you know, he could have been, who knows, <laughs> who knew what he was typing in there? In fact, right. that's, been, that's been one of the questions that has kept us going for 30 years. But uh, regardless, it... Uh, you know, uh, unlike the lives of some authors, there wasn't a lot of drama in our in our house. There wasn't well, that's good. A bunch of that's nice. You know, he so he was a pretty good dad, is, or anything he, of that sort. So it was he wasn't good. throwing bottles of whiskey at your head or anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, good, good. But you know, so uh, my wife's a writer. I'm a writer. Uh, my kids, one of my boys wants to be a tele. He's about to come down to L.A. actually to be to write for television. He's going to pursue uh-huh. that dream here shortly. Uh, so they were raised by a couple of creative people. And and my wife and I talk about sort of the creative, just what it is to make stuff and the challenges of it fairly regularly. Did he ever talk to you about that? You know, it's just sort of the, what you go through looking at a blank page and thinking, how do I want to fill this up? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, we heard about he he would tell us what he was working on and and how he was doing with it and things like that. It probably wasn't as uh, clear or instructive in a literal manner as you might expect, because by the time I was born, dad had kind of taught himself to write almost directly from his unconscious uh-huh. And you know, an awful lot <laughs> like a like an improv comedian would work. Yep. Yep. And and so there were aspects of what he did that uh, he didn't understand necessarily all that well, and he didn't want to. Right. Right. What, so what he was he not an do, outliner. Yeah. What he knew what he knew how to do was turn it on, and once he yeah. got it on, it was very effective at making the story come out. And um, to intellectualize too much about the process after that point was um, detrimental to the process. Yeah. He's not alone in that. Uh, A lot of people who write are able to write quickly and are Mm -hmm. able to, you know, produce a lot of stuff. um, They, uh, that's sort of, they don't want to tinker with it. You know, they, they know how to, as you say, turn it on. Something comes out, and if they if they start talking about it, they're afraid they're going to just totally screw it up. Exactly. Uh, it, yeah. It, it and and to our listeners, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you probably write quickly. Some of you don't. Some of you aren't writers. But there is a sense of like, well, uh, who is it? My one of my favorite interviews I did recently was with James Lee Burke, the novelist James mm-hmm. Lee Burke, and he said something. You know, he's 83 or whatever he is now, 84. He's written, I don't know how many crime novels, and he said. And he, I knew he didn't outline. He didn't, you know, he, I could tell in about two paragraphs, he just let it rip. And he said, he was the first writer who really was clear, like, you don't know where this stuff comes from. And if you think you do it by yourself, 
you're nuts and you can't. So just get make peace with whatever your God is and understand what's going on there. Does that make sense to you? It does. I mean, I know one the the most particular thing about my dad and this sort of process was he was he was always afraid to stop. He didn't want to let it go for too many days because that. Uh, I mean, I know this from my own experience too. That doorway shrinks. Oh, you yeah. don't you don't want to you don't want to close it and leave it closed for too long because your natural inclination or the natural inclination of your unconscious is to not open up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He didn't like to leave it for very long. He wrote virtually every day. And so for you, uh, so you you took over as a state in 88, but what were your own ideas about, were you interested in writing? Were you like, I don't want anything to do with it. That's his thing. I want to do my own thing. Like what was your relationship to it growing up? Well, I, I actually didn't see myself working in his business exactly, and, and I don't work in his business exactly. I mean, what I do right. is, is writing mixed with all kinds of uh, technical operations. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I initially thought that I wanted to be a film director and then more specifically a, a television writer and producer, and I did uh-huh. a little bit of that. Um, but I was very happy to uh, move on to publishing. So, and that, and that's, did that start when you took over his estate? I think I got more focused on the publishing stuff at that point. I had been doing, uh, I had been doing some of it. Then I was doing a lot of uh, art directing of dad's covers already when he uh-huh. uh, passed away and I was also producing our dramatized um, audio publishing program back in those days we did no single voice read audios everything everything that we did really? was scripted with a big cast and like wait, an old time radio show was that was that typical because I mean I've listened to a few books on tape but those are these are all you know relatively recently produced was that typical for the like 70s and 80s? I think when the business when the business first kind of really came into its own in the mid 1980s, I suspect that everybody in the business tried that a couple of times, and okay. we were lucky enough in that uh, we produced six shows a year for I don't know eight or nine years, and then we really? dropped down to four and uh then we went to mostly doing single voice readings but i produced what will probably be uh, i hope it isn't but i I fear it will probably be our last drama about three years ago god this is so cool so uh, so you would produce and so would you have a narrator or was it primarily just dialogue and Sound effects? Did you have music? Did you do the whole thing like a radio show? Um, well, I always tried to make them like a very updated version of a radio show. So my a lot of my background is in post production in motion pictures, uh-huh. and so uh, you know the, the the sound design thing comes very comes very easily to me. And so what the the last two shows that we did, Son of a Wanted Man. And the Diamond of Giroux were both um, uh, were both film scripts that I wrote. The Diamond of Giroux actually was a film that was made. Uh, I, I did for USA 
cable, and then we did it oh. again as an audio. Awesome. And um, and so, you know, I, I would adapt those scripts to the audio format. They would have a narrator uh, plus sound effects and everything, and everything like that. And yeah. we had our own, we have our own composer, and we do our own music and casts of you know I don't know those. I think the Diamond of Drew was sixteen or seventeen, and Son of a Wanted Man was twenty-two. Wow. So a lot cool. of actors, yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun, and and so uh, so the, you sent me a package of stuff, all this, all these great books, including No Traveler Returns, which is you, which is a book where I, I guess you took some of your father's stuff and added to it, completed it. Talk a little bit about that book, if you could. Uh, no Traveler Returns was an unfinished. Um, novel. It was my dad's first novel. It was written between 1938 and 1942. And like a lot of first novels, it was very ambitious. And yeah. it was probably too ambitious for him at the time. Right. And uh, he alternated working on it with writing short stories, which of course he could get out much more quickly and he could get a paycheck for much right. more quickly. And so, you know, it was written in fits and spurts and um, was, because it was so complicated, kind of disorganized. And But there was a very, very interesting interesting story there, an interesting, uh, a story he couldn't finish because he was drafted into World War II, um, right. finally. And then uh, when he came back, the... When he came back, the, the the professional requirements on him were much were much higher. But before the war, he was living with his parents in a little house in Oklahoma. After the war, he was supporting himself and uh, trying to make a living uh, here in in Hollywood. And so he was dedicated at first to the uh, short story business. He was trying to write 50 stories a year when he came back. <laughs> And and then he and then he you know he converted that business to writing paperback originals, but he was trying to write three or four paperback originals right. every year, so he never got yeah. back to it. And right, uh, and you know I was I had been aware of it my entire life. I, I've you know before I even started working on it, I probably read it fifteen twenty times. Really? And and then there Seriously? was a, um, oh yeah. And there was a, a a moment where it just snapped into focus, and I I said, oh, "Wait a minute! Behind everything, I, I know what he's trying to I know what he's trying to do here. This is one of those stories about kind of all people being connected." And uh -huh. and when I got that, and then we had a project which I'll need to describe for you in just a moment, the Lost sure. Treasures project. But um, but we had a project that it fit perfectly into it's kind of the centerpiece of and right so this was this was clearly the time for it and so uh i had to do quite a bit of you know quite a bit of writing on it but when i write um as my dad um yeah i i always put more of him in the story so i i'm so familiar with his life and the things he was interested in and stuff of that sort that uh, you know, I will I'll take pieces of him 
that even he didn't put into something. <laughs> right. So, right. And weave them into the, you know, weave them into the story to flesh it out. So it yeah. was a, it was a lot of fun. Wow. It sounds like, it sounds like you were as interested in that book, maybe even more interested in it than he was. It, I mean, I imagine he kind of said, well, I'm off. I've found my voice. I've found my genre. I've found my, and away he went, you know, 400 books or whatever it was later. Right. But it sounds like that book, for some reason, stuck in your imagination maybe more than it did in his. Well, it's a way of, you know, it's a way of kind of finding him and interacting with him. And, um, I mean, it isn't, it, it isn't every day you get a chance to co-write something with your dad 30 years after his death, which is no. incredible. That's and, great. Um, and it's also a very, very personal novel. There's a lot of him in it, probably more of his personality and his history in this book than, than certainly any of his Westerns. And, and so well, I was going to say, you, you mentioned uh, his, his lost treasures. Um, talk about that. So, cause he was okay. one prolific dude and right. not all of it could get published. Not all of it found the light of, of day. Right. So um, uh, a few years ago we started uh, this particular series of books called Louis, Louis L'Amour's Lost Treasures, and the first, uh, the first element of it is I'm taking about 40 of Dad's well-known novels, novels that were published, um, you know, back when he was alive, right. and I'm going back into them, and I'm writing a special postscript, which is like the bonus features or the story behind the story, Right. Or whatever interesting things that I know about that, you know, about that particular story. So sometimes it'll be about him doing research, if that's what I know about that story. Sometimes it will be about the making of the movie, because occasionally that was kind of a dramatic aspect right. to, yeah. to these things. Um, and uh, sometimes it'll be, you know, sometimes I will have... Uh, different beginnings of what you know he would start the story one way but that's not actually the way he finally wrote the novel so i will i'll look at that and and discuss why and then why he put it down and why he went back to work on it and i'll look through his correspondence and notes that he made to himself and his journal entries and try to decode everything that i can for the audience about you know what was going on it is uh you know i'm basically going through louis as an author his his papers yeah and i'm deciphering them for the audience in relationship to each of these works so that that's the first element the second element is uh-huh. two volumes of <clears throat> called louis lemore's lost treasures volume 1 and volume 2 and those are unfinished works and things that dad didn't sell for one reason or another um, right. during his life. So there's a couple of finished short stories in there. There's a number of movie treatments. There's um, all kinds of stuff like that. And so those continue the story of Louis's professional life. If you want to look at this whole project, it's really like the 
professional biography of Louis L'Amour as yeah. related to the individual stories. Um, and so in Volumes 1 and Volume 2, one of the fascinating things that appear in those stories is, and I didn't have any idea of this until I started really working in, on this project and thinking about it, um, what a writer cannot finish is the most defining material in their lives. <laughs> the stuff is that. too ambitious for uh-huh. someone, or I shouldn't, I shouldn't say necessarily too ambitious, but the most ambitious thoughts they have, the ones that exceed their ability, are right. the really real, the things where you can really see to the core of who they are and what they want to do and what their dreams are. Right. And uh, so, you know, only about a third of the material in Lost Treasures 1 and 2 is Western, and some of it is particularly odd Western. I mean, there's a it starts out with a Western horror story. That's the first story in, uh, right. in, in Volume 1. And um, and then the third element is uh, no traveler returns. Is uh, so I have a I have a rule that uh, at least until now um, I don't finish anything of my dad's that I didn't understand the trajectory of. Hmm. So back in the '90s and the early 2000s, there were a number of books or short stories that came out where I released a number of, uh, a pretty good number of dad's uh, short stories that had never been published. And many of those I worked on in the same in-depth manner that I worked on No Traveler Returns. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't finish something if I don't know where dad was going with it. And the material, right. you know, for better or for worse, the material in Lost Treasures 1 and 2 is material that I, I did not know what the true trajectory of it is. Although, in each when I present each one of these uh, unfinished stories or treatments or whatever it is, I do the same thing that I do with uh, with the novels. Is I'll write a commentary section where I basically say this is what I think Louis was trying to do with this right. story, and here is here is some evidence. Here's a letter he wrote to somebody. Here's a journal entry. You know, right. and he was going in this direction, and it seemed like he wanted to end it like this. So we kind of know we have, have a pretty good idea of where the right. story might have been going. That kind of. Um, well, let know, me ask you something. So, I, I'm a son, and I'm a father, and uh, so I've looked at this relationship from both sides. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess my question is like, what is like, what's this like? Does it get weird? You being is it is it ever strange for you because you're so intimately wrapped up with your dad's stuff? Um, how is that? Like just emotionally, it's just a guy trying to it's find great. his own it's like way. He's, it's like he's still around. You like that? You're, you 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 yeah. like that Elm? Some people are like leave me alone. I gotta get on with my life. But you like you miss the guy a little, and maybe you're so glad he's around. Yeah, no, no, and 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 I. You also have to recognize that. Um, for those same 30 years, for even longer than that, because I started doing this when I started working with the dramatized um, audios. Right. Um, when I do a project like this, um, I make it mine. 
Right. You know, it's oh, an expression good, of good. it's an expression of me as much as it's an expression of anybody else's. I mean, you know, if um uh if Lawrence of Arabia can be accepted as being an expression of Robert Bolt, the screenwriter. Right. Okay. And I don't think anyone can doubt that it is. Um, right. You know, just because it was drawn from historical sources and the seven pillars of wisdom and things like this, um, you know, that doesn't mean that Robert Bolt was not involved in the process. Right. And, and that it wasn't an expression of him too. And so, uh, I don't see I don't see any difference here. That you know I think that's great, and it reminds me of um, best filmmakers who turn books into movies wisely. I mean Kubrick was one great example of that. Know to make it their own thing. They like they love the book, but you can't make the book if you make a movie right. because movies have a very different. It's a visual medium. It's not a verbal medium, and so and just among other things. And so those artists know to make it their own. It sounds like that's what you're doing. You're saying, I've got to translate it through my own imagination, my own desires, my own interests, et cetera. Good and and I've had a wonderful, I've been able to do, I mean, I've been able to do dramatized audio, which is crazy. I mean, I've done 60 of those. Um, <laughs> so cool. And, and, you know, this is something that nobody gets an opportunity to do these days. I've been yeah. able to do motion pictures, I've been able to do a comic book. I've been able to do all kinds of fun stuff. So it's been a, it's been a riot actually. <laughs> it, and it sounds like, I mean, you must like the fact that, cause you know, so your dad was a, was a writer, but so he would get up every day, plunk himself down in front of his typewriter. I'm sure there are no computers yeah. and just, that's what he did. I mean, he just wrote stories every day. That's it. And, uh, but you do a lot of different stuff. You got your hands in all kinds of different things. Do you like that variety? Does that does that excite you? I love it. I really, really like getting into the technical aspects of things, whether it is, you know, how to record a sound effect, or right. um, you know, or it's how to present a book like uh, Louis L'Amour's Lost Treasures, uh, you know, in exactly which fonts, which was an enormous discussion. <laughs> oh, brother. Um, okay. And so, it, you know, it can be, it, like I said, I get involved in a lot of technical aspects of it. Yeah. When, we did the, when we did the comic book, I spent two years on the phone with the artist probably every third day. And, wow. Um, and discussing ex exactly what the next set of panels was going to look like at the same time. When, you know, my dad could write directly and without worry or hesitation from his unconscious. Right. And I can sometimes get like that, but every time I take on the technical aspect of a project, you know, like I said earlier, that door shrinks and it is right. horrible getting it back open again <laughs> yeah you do it's a muscle you got to keep working it exactly. you got to keep where it's true yeah i tell my my students who write book length projects it's like do it five days a week because you have to it takes a while just to start the engine up and if you write five days a week at least you kind of it keeps working in your subconscious even when you're not writing but if you let it go about three or four or five days then you got to find it all over again you know yeah and so it's, it's a good thing to do right well bo 
this has been very, very interesting. I'm not through with you just yet, uh, sure. but let, so there's, you've got quite the internet empire. So if people want to learn about you, use bolamore.com, but also the Lost Treasures has its own website too. Is that right? That is correct. Louis and so Moore's it's just losttreasures.com.com. Okay. And so they can find out about you there and, or at your own website, but okay. So, but I've got one more question for you before I turn you loose. Uh, what I'd like you to do is finish this sentence. Uh, if writing, I know that's one of the things you do. So if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Oh, gosh, it must be discipline. You know, <laughs> it's the discipline to keep that door open. It's the di- discipline to keep your butt in the seat. You know, the, the first thing you need to do is put your butt in the seat. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen till you do that, is it? Yeah. Oh, man. So it's taught you some discipline. Were you undisciplined before you wrote, or has it just made you more disciplined? No, I, I mean, I, I like to, like, like I said earlier, I kind of like to do a lot of different things. And those things right. can be very creative, but they can also be kind of distracting. Yeah. Well, Bo, congratulations on all the stuff you're doing. It's just awesome. Keep having fun. Keep putting out hmm. those stories. The world never is there can never be too many great stories in the world, so keep putting them out there. I will do my best. Thank you. Uh, all right. Take it easy, Bo. Have a nice holiday. Mm-hmm, you too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, yes, I will be off for a couple of weeks, so go do whatever you do. If you still, if you have something you're going to go do, uh, have a good a new year, et cetera. Jeff, thank you. It's great. My producer, R.J. Jeffries, always great to have you there. Uh, So until next year, 